Good morning, kia ora everyone. Um, it's so great to be your special guest speaker this morning. It's, um, it's good to be visiting. It seems like a really great church um, you've got here. I hope you've had a, a really great summer and New Year's. And I wonder if you've um, if you made a New Year's resolution uh, this year. And I'm not here to judge you if you did. If you want to engage in pagan God-dishonoring traditions, then that's entirely up to you. It's a joke. It's just relax, guys. Our New Year's resolutions have been around uh, for a while now. Some say uh, they can be traced back to the Babylonians 4,000 years ago. However, what people actually make resolutions about has changed uh, quite a bit. In 1947, number one on the most common New Year's resolutions was improve my disposition, be more understanding, control my temper. Today's is equally as profound and introspective, lose weight. And number, uh, number two in 1947 was improve my character, live a better life. Number two is now get organized. At the end of last year, uh, I started hitting the gym again to uh, burn off my post-baby body, which I'm sure is um, very apparent to everyone here. Uh, and uh, I was there on the 2nd of January, and I was greeted by a horde of uh, sweating, hopeful, New Year, New Me mantra reciting, New Year's resolutioners, full of uh, optimism, enthusiasm, and newly bought fitness wear. Uh, not three weeks later, and the crowd has already begun to thin out and return to normal gym levels, if not less. And I don't take joy in seeing this happen. It's been me before as well. But at the beginning of every new year, we are confronted by a very important question. How do people change? How do we change? And people will go to great lengths to change. I recently discovered the story of Zelda Gampson. Uh, Zelda was a civil rights activist who was involved in the uh, Congress of Racial Equality in the 60s, uh, but she was also a heavy smoker who would sometimes smoke up to two packets of cigarettes a day. So when she wasn't battling institutional change, she was battling personal change, trying to change this unhealthy habit of hers. And she tried uh, many times, times to quit smoking, and she just couldn't do it. Um, and so Zelda decided to finally take drastic action. Zelda made a pledge to never smoke again. And if she did, she would donate $5,000 to the KKK, an organization she very obviously abhorred. And after making the pledge, things were very different. Every time that Zelda got the urge to smoke, visions of the KKK and their dastardly deeds would appear in her mind. A single cigarette would mean that the KKK would get her money. Zelda had found a thought that was stronger than the urge to smoke, and she never smoked again. Now, while this worked for Zelda in this instance, it's not a particularly sustainable way to approach change in our lives. We can't simply make a horrific ultimatum with consequences that intrude on our values every time we want to transform some aspect of our lives. But this is often the way we try and bring about change in our lives. We try and muster up the strength within ourselves to bring change. We bargain, blackmail, bribe, and wrestle with ourselves to try and bridge the gap in our lives between who we are and who we want to be, between who we are and who Jesus is. And we all know this feeling of, struggle, of the struggle of not meeting our own expectations. The uh, Apostle Paul confesses to the struggle when he says, I do not understand what I do. For I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
He doesn't understand it because it doesn't make any sense. We often irrationally act against our own interests and sabotage our own lives. We often find that willpower alone is not enough to bring significant change in our lives. This is what the philosopher James K.A. Smith says. He says, it's a, terrible, it's a terrible and terrifying thing to know what you want to be and then realize you're the only one standing in your way. To want with every fiber of your soul to be someone different, to escape the you you've made of yourself, only for, to fall back into the self you hate over and over and over again. After the thrill of independence and experiments and self-actualization, drinking in so-called dregs of uh, potential for being to the dregs, um, when the exhaustion starts to set in and then eventually morphs into a kind of self-disgust, you can reach a point where you, want, you know you want a different life, but you're in chains to the one you've made. Now, James K. Smith has been known to listen to a wee bit much emo music, but there's something in what he's talking about that deeply resonates with me. This, this feeling of, like, of feeling like I'm the only one standing in my way. And what we need is something or someone more powerful, someone with a stronger will than our own to help bring about meaningful change in our lives. And this is the problem with the self-help industry. What's the problem? Myself. What's the solution? Also myself. But what if we don't need self-help? What if we actually just need help? And this is the conclusion that King David has come to in our psalm today, that his self is insufficient for the kind of change he needs in his life, that on his own he lacks the resources for growth into the kind of person he was created to be, that his creatureliness needs the help of God's creatorliness. Not a word, but that's all right. That maybe the secret to change in our lives isn't found by mustering up the willpower to change, but by inviting the spirit of a good God with a stronger will than ours to minister to us. Our passage today begins like this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation." King David here asks that God creates in him a clean heart. And David here is using the same Hebrew word barah that is used uh, to describe how God creates in Genesis 1. This is a kind of creating that only God can do. David is essentially here asking for his, uh, for his heart and his inner world to be recreated. And just like in the creation narrative, after the act of creation, God's spirit comes and hovers over the waters. Uh, so it's no surprise then that David f follows up his mention of creation with, do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But then listen to what he asked God to do. He asked God to sustain in him a willing spirit. Sustain in him a willing spirit. And what he's suggesting here is that within him is currently an unwilling spirit. He's suggesting that sometimes even though he knows what he wants and what God wants from him, there's something unwilling that irrationally leads him astray. And this is a universal experience. We often know what we want. We often even know what we need to do. But something within us is unwilling. And so, knowing he can't simply rely on his own unwilling spirit, he asks that God would come and bring a willing spirit into his life. Because if significant change and growth is going to happen in his life, it's going, to be, it's going to happen through the power of his spirit. It's not going to be done 
uh, in his own willpower, but by the power of God's Spirit, who is the only one who can truly transform us into the kind of person he's created us to be. Uh, Old Testament scholar and Psalms expert John Goldengay says this, In effect, the suppliant David is asking God to do a transformative work in the inner person that deals not only with the stain that results from past wrongdoings, but also with the dynamics that will continue to produce wrongdoing. You know, like often the church is really good at talking about the forgiveness of, of sin, and that's great, and that's really important. But what we're less clued up on is how we change. What are the dynamics in us that will continue to produce wrongdoing, and what are we going to do about them? We're big on salvation, but not so much on sanctification. And real change and growth happens in our lives when we don't merely re- rely on our own resources, but partner with the resources of the Spirit. Uh, now, let's not misunderstand, though. By saying that <clears throat> the Spirit is what brings change about in our lives doesn't mean that we sit around hoping that God magically changes us, demanding nothing of us. Augustine puts it really well when he says, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. In other words, God is inviting us to partner with the Spirit in, for change in our lives, not by sitting around hoping for transformation, but by entering into the spheres of change which he has given us. And here at St. Augustine's, we talk about these spheres as uh, teaching, community, and practice. And the reason why we value these things so much isn't because we think that they in themselves produce change, but that they are containers and environments in which God's Spirit transforms us. That as we enter into the Jesus way of teaching, the Spirit renews our mind, restores us, and gives us a lens to more clearly see the world. That as we enter into community, God's Spirit leads us to love more deeply, to forgive more often, and to open our lives more to others and to God. And as we enter into practices, that the Spirit transforms our doing into being, our habits into lifestyles. And as we do these things in partnership with the Spirit, we change to be more like Jesus and who he wants us to be. But this change happens gradually and incrementally. It's easy to uh, become discouraged by what is perceived as the slowness of change in our lives. But change into Christ-likeness is gradual and incremental. It's kind of like a plant growing. If you sit and stare at a plant, I'm not sure why you'd do that, um, nonstop, you probably won't notice it change and grow. But come back in a a week, you might see the small signs of growth. Or with my daughter, Piper, uh, I often don't realize how much she's changed until I, I look back at pictures over the months and seeing how much she's grown. And so what you have to do is, in faith, enter into the spheres of change, jump into the way of Jesus, open yourself to the Spirit, and trust the process. A while back, um, Zara and I went to Rarotonga, and uh, it was on our bucket list to swim with turtles. And we told our friend this, and he was like, oh, I know a way of swimming with the turtles in Rarotonga. Here's what you need to do. And this is what he said. He said, what you need to do is go to the night markets and you walk around until you find a stall that sells natural smoothies. And then you go up to the stall and you ask um, for Super Yoga Granddaddy. And then Super Yoga Granddaddy will come and meet you and you'll know it's him because he's ripped, he's got a six pack. Uh, And then Super Yoga Granddaddy will come and uh, he'll tell you a time and day and then on that time and day, you'll meet Super Yoga Granddaddy at the YWAM base. And then you and Super Yoga Granddaddy and some other people will all hold hands in a circle and you'll sing a turtle chant 
to summon the turtles out of the ocean. Uh, and then he will tow you uh, on a paddle board and everyone else, because he's ripped, uh, into a spot in the ocean to see um, the turtles. Now, to me, this seemed like a nuclear stitch up. Um, as soon as the words Super Yoga Granddaddy left his mouth, I was uh, plagued with doubt. Um, we got over there. We went to the night markets. We found someone selling smoothies, and we asked him, are you Super Yoga Granddaddy? And he said, yes. Yes, I am. I am Super, super Yoga Granddaddy. Next thing you know, we're holding hands with strangers on the beach. <laughs> we're singing a chant to summon turtles from the ocean. He, by his own strength, tows us out into the ocean on his paddle boards, uh, and we were able to take photos like this. We trusted the process. And as we partner with the Spirit and following the Jesus way, even though we don't see immediate results, we trust that God is doing a deep work in us and that as we look back in 10 years' time, we might be able to say things like, I handled that situation better than I would have used to, or I'm more patient than I used to be, or I don't hold grudges the way I used to, or I don't support the blues anymore. And as we begin this year... I wonder if we as a community could ask God, create in us a clean heart. That whatever has gone before you in, in 22, whatever that brought you, it doesn't have to be the same this year. God is not only capable, but willing of, of giving you full forgiveness and renewal in your life. God wants to create a clean heart in you. And we ask that God will help us leave behind uh, the, the things that have been burdening us that were brought into this year. But we also ask that God sustain in us a willing spirit, that he would help us change, not in our own strength, but through the strength of God's spirit working in our lives, that God would give us a willing spirit that counters the dynamics of wrongdoing in our lives, that as we partner with the spirit and the spheres of teaching and community and practice, that we'll see the gradual but sure growth uh, and change in our community towards Christ-likeness. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we thank you uh, that you want to create and clean out in us. You want to forgive us and renew us. And as we start this year, um, you provide the possibility of a fresh start. But God, we, we ask you that you would grant a willing spirit in us, that we would seek what is good and right in not only our lives, but in the lives of others. And that we might be a community that is more and more Christ-like each and every day. Amen.